Happy Memorial Day, everyone, from the Sons of History. I'm Dustin Bass. And Alan Joachim is actually not on the show today. He is actually out in Philadelphia uh, taking some vacation, but also doing some video shoots for the Sons of History stuff that you guys will definitely enjoy. I'm looking forward to it as well. He is safe and sound. I checked with him. And he is having a good time, and I know that he is enjoying his Memorial Day as well. Um, So today, what we have, although Alan is not part of the show, he is a big part of the show in this episode. What we have for you is an interview that was conducted by Alan Joachim with Lieutenant Colonel Dick Cole. Now, you're probably thinking, Lieutenant Colonel Dick Cole, where have I heard that name before? I know it, I know it, I know it. Well... Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Ditko was the last surviving Doolittle Raider of the Doolittle Raid, which was the initial reaction to the attack on Pearl Harbor in World War II. Uh, this happened April 18, 1942. Lieutenant Colonel Dick Cole actually passed away this April 9th and very close to the anniversary of the Doolittle Raid. Now, Alan had talked to me uh, prior to getting this interview and was like, Dustin, we've got to get this interview. Uh, Mr. Cole is 103 years old. We know that he is not going to be around for very much longer. And boy, was he correct. Uh, just a few months later, uh, Mr. Cole passed away. So he actually got with Mr. Cole and his daughter, Cindy Shaw, uh, who is the woman that you'll hear on this interview. And got this interview in December of last year. Uh, He went to San Antonio to meet with Mr. Cole and Ms. Shaw. Um, And it's a wonderful, um, wonderful interview and a great moment captured about not just American history, but a huge part of world history. And we know that you'll enjoy this. Uh, There's not going to be any book recommendations or movie recommendations. It's strictly, let's get to this interview Uh, let you guys listen to it while doing whatever it is that you're doing during your Memorial Day celebration. And we do want to thank all those who have gone before us uh, over the centuries, who have given their lives to protect the freedoms and liberties that we enjoy today. So in memoriam, we say thank you. Um, It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful day that we get to celebrate of those who have served and sacrificed so much uh, for the United States of America. And as we also see in this interview that is coming up, not just for America, but for the world. So we know that you'll enjoy this interview and be sure to go check out our website as well, uh, www.thesonsofhistory.com and also go check us out on social media, like and subscribe to everything that we got We've got a lot. We've got a lot going on. We've got our YouTube page, so you can check that out. Subscribe, please, and go check out our Facebook page. We're super busy on that. Always got great stuff going on over there. Uh, And also check out our Instagram and our Twitter pages. So uh, without further ado, here is the interview with Lieutenant Colonel Dick Cole. Uh, Today we have a very, very special treat. This gentleman right here, his name is Colonel Dick Cole little background on him, the Doolittle Raid. Now, I know a lot of people at this point in, in uh, time are not too familiar, too familiar with the Doolittle Raid. But the uh, Doolittle Raid 
was conducted in April 18, 1942. After Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt was very, very angry with the way things turned uh, with the bombing of Pearl Harbor. It was an undeclared war, and here they are bombing us, and he wanted to retaliate. So uh, a gentleman by the name of uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Jimmy Doolittle was to lead 79 other men on 16 twin-engine bombers to attack Japan. Now, if you saw the movie Pearl Harbor, you will remember at the end of the movie where uh, Alec Baldwin, who played Jimmy Doolittle, uh, they took off from um, uh, the aircraft carrier USS Hornet, uh, 16 twin-engine bombers. Uh, Alec Baldwin, of course, played Jimmy Doolittle, and the guy who sat right next to him, the co-pilot, is this gentleman right here. Uh, this is uh, Colonel Cole. Good morning, Colonel Cole. How are you doing today? Morning. I'm, I'm okay. You doing well? Yeah. Ready for Christmas? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to start off with, I know that there have been a lot of uh, books, and I believe, uh, I believe you have your own book, or there was a book written about you, but uh, start off with so that people can get a, a better background on the raid. Uh, uh, I know that um, Carol Glines is someone that you recommend. Is there anybody else that you recommend uh, or any movies that you think... Uh, accurately portray the raid. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was uh, also a historian. Uh, I don't know how he gets to be a certified historian. <laughs> I guess, guess he never got caught in a mistake. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, you know, I have a couple of his books. Yeah. Uh, did you? What did you think of uh, the movie Thirty Seconds Over Tokyo? Is that a good representation for people to watch? Nah. Uh, well, uh, uh, the book itself was supposed to be, and it has held up pretty good. Mm -hmm. uh, authority on the raid, the truthfully. It authority. is a truthful, truthful yeah. authority. Okay. Um, now, during the raid, was there any, was there any moment that stood out that you remember the most that you will never forget? Uh, <laughs> uh, and, uh, I don't want you to think of the smarty answer, but uh, uh, the most memorable thing was when my parachute opened. When your parachute opened? Yeah. That's what you remember yeah, the most? Yeah, well. Hey, now, you bailed out in the middle of uh, darkness. Uh, yeah. Okay. And uh, was in the middle of the night in uh, a big train store. Right? Okay. And uh, we all had the problem of uh, ho hoping that uh, the parachute would open because we had no fuel, and uh, we had knew we knew we were over China at nine thousand feet, uh, and that was it. Uh, we were bailing out into. Uh, uh, Unknown territory. So you bailed out around 9,000 feet mm. uh, in the middle of the night in a mm. rainstorm. Now, I, I read this book, and uh, uh, it said that you landed in a tree. I did. I was lucky enough. Uh, I did. 
one one of the wonder problems uh, in that situation was uh, once you bail out, you have the problem. Where am I going to hit uh, and uh, so forth? Uh, it turned out that I was fortunate enough that uh, I didn't have to I didn't touch the ground. Right. Uh, I ended up in a, a small pine tree and uh, in the middle of the storm, you couldn't see anything, do anything, and it was wet. Uh, so I covered up uh, myself uh, uh, as possible, making it as uh, comfortable as possible. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, had hung there until uh, daybreak. Daybreak, uh, the storm had abated, and um, I could see the ground, uh, and everything was uh, nice and peaceful. And I was on the side of a mountain. Yeah. Now, from what uh, I read, you uh, you you turned your parachute into a canopy. Yeah, slept yeah, in it, but yeah. you were high up in a very steep mountain. Yeah. Uh, we all had a compass, and we knew if we walked uh, east, we'd be walking into uh, occupied hands, and uh, uh, on my part of it, uh, I chose not to look for a railroad or a road, uh, thinking my... Uh, chances of uh, uh, being uh, captured would be less. Okay. And so I elected to just start walking west, uh, which was nothing but up and down. Uh, so you avoided the uh, roads and the railroads because yeah, yeah. you knew the Japanese would be. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, I, uh, I read that uh, some of the men that were captured, they were tried as... Uh, as war criminals, not as uh, POWs, and they executed three of them. Um, and one of them, uh, d I think he died of uh, either starvation or... Yeah, or, Bob Meter. He was from Ohio, Bob Meter. Bob Meter? Yeah, he died okay. of... Uh, and he was um, very energetic. He kept the other four prisoners having hope. And mm -hmm. he, he died... Um, a year and a half after the raid, and I wondered why he died of malnutrition, and the other four, because they were all young, healthy young men going on the raid, um, and after he passed away, they upped the food for the other four. Um, they still had another year and a half to go, mm -hmm. but there was enough that they kept, it kept them alive, but one of the raiders, Bob Barr, the other five alive, um, one of the raiders, or other four, Bob Barr was so um, sick that when they, at the end of the war, they couldn't move him for two weeks. So he was on, really on. The other guys, they were able to, they pair, they literally, um, they knew that the raiders were in there because Chase Nielsen, one of the, the only survivor from Crew 6, Hallmark's crew, mm -hmm had scratched on the bottom of one of the enamel cups 
bombed Tokyo April 18, 1942. They didn't label it the Doolittle Raid till you know after it happened. Um, but that prison where they kept them, there were political prisoners also, and some of those people got out. And so one of those people happened to see the writing on the bottom of the cup. He's released like six months, a year or two later, and he reports to the, you know, the United States government that there were some raiders in there, mm-hmm. people that had bombed Tokyo. And um, so at the end of the war, the Japanese were famous for just going through the prison camps and murdering people. And they parachuted in, um, I think, four Japanese-Americans that spoke Japanese that were um, basically our special forces into Mm -hmm. the camp to see if they couldn't save them, those four raiders, from being executed. And they're the ones that liberated the the four that survived. Well... Now, you took part in what was the most famous, I think it was the most famous raid in uh, the Second World War, if uh, you don't count the Hiroshima raid. But uh, did you, uh, when you came home, did you tell everybody? Did they all know that you participated? I mean, how were you treated? Uh, Did every girl in the city come after you saying, I want you? (laughs) What happened? uh, I didn't have to worry about that because... Initially, we were told if we survived the mission, we would get to come home. Uh, But uh, there were 26 of us that did not get to come home. Uh, And we were left in the CBI. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which is true. We were kind of in limbo. And uh, we heard that uh, they were looking for pilots to fly the hump. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there were six of us that decided that's what we wanted to do. And uh, we got checked out in uh, the C-47, uh, the Douglas airplane, and uh, where we were through the hump until we got to the home 14 months later. By that time, uh, uh, there was no real big, uh, um, a lot of information about the Tokyo raid, so I didn't have to say anything, mm-hmm. and I chose to do that. The raiders that got to come home did go on bond tours, and so did General Doolittle. I think General Doolittle and General Patton went on a bond tour, too. Um, um, but but it was it was um, what happened was the Philippines were falling, and the general coming out of the filling to the Philippines, Brereton, had brought his primes up to India, and was supposed to be there for a while. But he saw what how discombobulated. It was in India fighting the war in China, because like Dad said, the headquarters of the 10th Air Force was a thousand miles away from where they were actually doing any work. And so uh, Barrington just got ticked off and took his planes, which was mainly B-24s, I think, or B, uh, and a few B-17s, and went to Africa, because that, the Operation Torch was starting up. Right. 
they were starting to get together. And if they hadn't gone on the raid, all the Doolittle Raiders would have been in Operation Torch. And the Raiders that came back to the States do go to North Africa with the beginning of Operation Torch in November of 42. Okay. So, um, so after after the raid, you, so you he was <clears throat> you you were in China for about what? How long would you 14 say? Fourteen months. For fourteen months. 14 months yeah. Okay, and then well, in, India and China. India and China. Okay. Their bases. So. The ABG had bases in China, uh -huh. and in order, the Burma Road had fallen just about the time the raid happened. Okay, May of forty-two. There was no way to get supplies in because Rangu fell too to the Japanese. So they couldn't come in from the bottom. They, and so they had to go over the top. And that's when they started uh, the air transport. Um, the Doolittle Raid is Project 1. The air transport um, is Project 7. Um, D-Day is Project 4. And the aerial invasion of Burma which Dad was involved in, was Project 9. I don't know what the other projects were. One was the pipeline. They thought they'll build a pipeline into China instead of flying the hump, since it was so dangerous. But they, that one never got happened. But I've never found Project 2, 3, 4, 5, or 6. Okay. So, anyway. But so they got left in China, and in India. In India. Now, when you trained, uh, how, did you just volunteer? How did... How did you get uh, become part of this whole mission? Did uh, did you know what the mission was about, or did you just know that hey, I'm going to be flying with uh, Colonel Doolittle, and I'll I'd like to try it out? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, uh, when they were looking for volunteers, uh, the whole group volunteered, and out of the whole group volunteered. Uh, uh, I don't have any idea what, uh, why we were chosen. Who chose us, uh, or what we supposed to do, so forth. I don't know. Okay. We just ended up there. So when did you know that we, uh, did you first hear that we were actually bombing Japan? Uh, um, two days at sea after we left Alameda. The PA system said, uh, came on and said, this force is bound for Tokyo. And then uh, the only people that knew that was Doodle and the hierarchy. Uh, and none of us uh, thought we were going to, uh, the main view was that uh, we were, so the Hornet was a new carrier, and uh, we were in the Pacific, and we were going to go to some island that uh, uh, they wanted us to fly off of and fight the war. And that's uh, so when you heard we're, we're destination Tokyo, what yeah. uh, what were you scared? Were you thrilled? Happy? What? Uh... Well, uh, I don't know, uh, and none of us, even uh, Doodle, and been kind of combat before, <laughs> but that uh, uh, can change the direction or our thinking. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. We might not uh, have a chance to do do anything. Uh, we're going to be in trouble and all kinds of uh, uh, questions that came up. But there was a lot of uh, jubilation by the Navy uh, that we were headed for Tokyo. And uh, uh, after a while, uh, everybody decided, uh, I guess, uh, they had better start be thinking about something else. Because uh, uh, this is serious business. So, uh, yeah, yeah. did that, but uh, you're. Uh, Actually scared all the time. Uh, it's a kind of un, un, under the cover scare. Uh, it uh, it uh, turned out that it was uh, successful for us, and uh, uh, we ended up uh, getting back to the states one time or another. Okay. Now, did uh, of of the eighty or the seventy nine other guys that flew with you, did any of them become like best friends, or did you become better friends with uh, gentlemen from other missions? Well, uh, uh, after because uh, things were kind of mixed up, we went in different directions. Uh, it was gentlemen that, that uh, uh, just had part in that mission. Okay. Uh, uh, most of them went to North Africa. Uh, the 26 that stayed there, they were split up in different uh, organizations and so forth, and then did their part then there in China and India and Burma. And uh, kept uh, uh, active in the war. Did, did you ask him who else? Who, who um, did did the other raiders? Did they become his best friends? Did he make later a best? On, later on, Dad never flew with the raiders, other raiders again. That was the last yeah, mission. But some of them did because they go to North Africa. Right. Um, and and um, about ten of them. Uh, there were no planes and no supplies in India, Burma, China, even though there was a war going on, okay? Um, and they were at the end of the earth no matter what, all right? Mm-hmm. Um, but um, uh, Dad became friends. The, the, one, the ones that ended up in B-25s out of flying out of Kangming, those guys, there was about 10 of them, raiders, that were together, okay? So they had a camaraderie going on, all right? Um, but the six that went to fly the hump, three or four of them were navigators, and they didn't use navigators flying the hump, so they went back over to Kung Ming because they all wanted flying time. They all had to find a place to work, okay? And that's what they were doing because um, they didn't have planes. Um, uh, and then two, two others, which I think was Shorty, Manch, and, and McElroy, McElroy had injured his back, and flying the hump took six six hours to go over the hump, mm-hmm. um, and it was too long of a plane ride for him to be able to fly the hump. So he ends up 
flying in Burma, bombing uh, in India, bombing Burma. That's, those were shorter runs when more B-25s came in. And Shorty Manch ends up in B-25s in Kunming, mm -hmm. flying in western China to eastern China. So, okay, now, um, you met uh, uh, Generalissimo Xiang Kai-shek and his wife. Is it Lady Kai-shek? Madam. Yeah. Madam kai uh, We had the pleasure of meeting the madam. We did not have the opportunity to uh, meet Xiang uh, Kai-shek. Oh, you didn't get to meet him, but you met uh, Ma the Madam uh, Kaishek. Uh, so what, uh, now that was a, uh, was it a dinner to honor? Well, uh, it was at the, the um, um, uh, place that they had elected to be uh, the second government, uh, while uh, the Chongqing uh, and the rest of mm -hmm. um, So now, uh, your your daughter, uh, uh, Cindy Shaw, thank you. Thank you also for being here and helping out with this. Um, she said that you took place in, uh, in, in the invasion of Burma. So um, you decided, uh, okay, you're here, you're in the China-Burma-India theater. So, well, uh, uh, when we got orders to go home, uh, uh, well, there were quite a few of us that had experiences uh, in that area. Okay. No, uh, Phil Cochran and John Allison, in the meantime, had been chosen to establish a uh, airborne uh, uh, arrangement uh, for the troops that were marching into Burma. Okay. Uh, there had been uh, four four attempts, and uh, all of them had to turn back. And it was a pretty brutal, brutal uh, assignment because uh, you moved along on the ground. If you became injured, there was no medical help, uh, and uh, if it was uh, uh, looked uh, pretty bad. Uh, you were parked by a tree uh, with a gun mm -hmm. and a few uh, substantial things that uh, you would might need, and uh, they moved on. Mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, Cochrane and Allison were chosen to uh, come up with some kind of arrangement that would give the gun to air support. Mm -hmm. uh, so they formed uh, what they called the First Air Commando Group. Uh, it was made up of uh, the B-25, C-47, uh, P-51s, a lot of little uh, L-1s and L-5s, mm -hmm. L-4s. Uh, we had C-47s uh, specially equipped with uh, a uh, pickup reel, reel, which we you could pick up a glider from the ground. And uh, it, it was chosen to, to uh, invade Burma. Okay. The way it was arranged is that 
small equipment uh, uh, civil engineer people uh, with miles of bulldozers or rollers and scrapers, whatever they need. Uh, that uh, uh, it would invade Burma behind the Japs line to about a couple hundred miles. After selecting a place, uh, they found a place uh, called Broadway that uh, they thought might be the one. So on the night of March the 6th in uh, uh, 43, the uh, uh, and uh, we invaded Burma, and uh, uh, the uh, way it worked out is that uh, the previous see the engineers would uh, have prevented uh, make a landing field, mm -hmm. uh, okay. and uh, in the meantime, Colonel Allison. Uh, who uh, flew one of the gliders in on the invasion night, was that uh, uh, he would set up a system uh, that uh, the gliders would release at a certain place. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, about 5.30 that afternoon, uh, a picture was taken of the field but they thought they were going to invade it. Well, there a lot of uh, mahogany logs had been spaced here and there, and there that uh, disrupted the, the space that they needed. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And there was another field that they were planning on doing that, and uh, it ended up, uh, uh, we finally had to go into Broadway. Uh, well, the place that Allison had expected for the gliders to release uh, uh, became useless, useless because uh, the people going on that airplane, that glider, mm -hmm. uh, had brought in a lot of extra stuff and. Uh, yeah, it was. <laughs> didn't, didn't flow too well. <laughs> <laughs> it screwed that up. So, but anyway. Uh, yeah. 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 But what he was talking about in Broadway, they don't know if the Japanese came in and took the mahogany logs and laid them on the field, or if the local uh, farmers brought them because they were drying them. Okay, they don't know who did it. Um, but that—that's what they were. What they were. They, what they were doing was in the gliders was equipment so that these men could get out, come in, get out, and build an airstrip in 24 hours, so that the the invasion can happen and the wounded they could bring in supplies that way, turn around, pick up the wounded, and get them out of there. Right. That's what that was all about. Okay. And it ended up happening, but um, it, they had glitches. Now you you were friends with uh, Tex Hill. Now when um, did you did did you meet did they meet here in Texas or was it in China? And uh, did you also meet uh, Claire Chanel? Now, now these gentlemen I'm mentioning, Tex Hill, Claire Chanel, were with yeah. the Flying Tigers. Uh, Tex Hill, yes. Uh, uh, Chanel, no, I never. Yeah. You never met Chanel, but yeah. but you met. But Tex Hill. my 
roommate, uh, Jake Sartz, uh, uh, flew Chanel around for a while until Chanel got the money. He, uh, he liked her. He, uh, I don't know the circumstances, but, uh, but he did fly Chanel around. Okay. Now, did did um, now y'all y'all trained in short runways? So yeah, you had to. I'm back to the raid now. Yes. Yeah. Did you did y'all want to stick to? We didn't go in and land and then take off the Okay. When, when, you tell him. You okay. Okay. Now we're we're going to talk back again about the the Doolittle raid. Uh, okay. Now on the on the Doolittle raid. When uh, you trained to take off from a very short runway, is that correct? Yes. Did you know that this was an aircraft carrier that you're that you were going to be practicing? That uh, it's emulating a uh, an aircraft carrier, or did you? I mean, what was your thoughts as to why are we taking off off a short runway? Well, uh, first off, when. Uh, the idea of an army bomber taking off a, car a carrier uh, was thought up by a submariner. Right. Uh, who uh, uh, Roosevelt uh, uh, liked the idea, and he said, do it. Okay. So uh, uh, all the army pilots, including me, uh, looked at it, the possibility of the army pilot, our army airplane, taking off a carrier with a jaundiced eye mm -hmm. uh, because of the, uh, the length of the runway. But uh, the Navy sent a young lieutenant, Hank Miller, uh, down to teach us uh, the technique of a carrier takeoff. What it amounted to was that in doing that, you would have a win from the carrier, also from the Mother Nature. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that's fine. Uh, the carrier uh, is very short, uh, and uh, uh, he was able to do, teach the, through this way. Uh, he taught us to, to be uh, more finesse with the controls to actually take off and try and fly the, the, the force of the aircraft engine. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, in doing so, you would have more a chance of survival uh, uh, they're getting off very quickly. Uh, and then we uh, uh, were all able to do it uh, uh, after uh, a few rides with uh, Miller. Mm -hmm. uh, and he rode with all the piloting crews. Okay. So yeah. was he on the Hornet with you all? Uh -huh. Was he on the Hornet with you? No, no, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no. He was, <laughs> he was on the Hornet. But he, yeah, yeah, he did. He he left. He was from Pensacola, and uh -huh. he was a young lieutenant, Hank uh -huh. Miller. Um, and um, then he goes across country with them, 
And he told Michener he didn't want to get, because he was AWOL, and he didn't want to get in trouble. And Michener said, Michener was ahead of the, the ship, okay, the commander of the ship. And Michener said, don't worry, you're not going to get in trouble. But he was there to see them take off, yes. He was? Okay, yes. so he's, he yeah. saw the takeoff. Yeah, he's been labeled in the picture, the group pictures. Okay. He, he was, yeah. All right. So, uh, all right, so you took off. You flew, what was it, you, you took one flight around to, to let the others catch up, or did you just fly on straight to Tokyo and let no, the others catch okay. up? Okay. Uh, we couldn't fly in formation uh -huh. because we used too much fuel. Right. Okay. We took off, uh, made a circle, the Navy held up a heads-up board, Tokyo, uh, and we flew that course. Okay. That's set the comp. <laughs> okay, that's set the comp. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, um, how'd you use the bathroom during that time? I'm sure a lot of people want to know. Uh, what? How did you use the restroom? Because it was a long flight. Uh, I've never had uh, or thought about addressing that problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people have always wanted to know. I don't know. Uh, I don't not remember myself or Colonel Duda. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh. Okay. So. Yeah, they um, they they had to take off uh, eight, twelve hours or eight hours ahead of time, and so they were just getting up. Dad was on his way to breakfast when they heard the announcement: all Navy pilots man their planes. So they all might, of them. The answer might be. They didn't eat. Is it, they didn't uh, have liquid. Oh, uh, on the morning that uh, uh, they announced that it was to take off, nobody had a chance to go to breakfast. Uh -huh. So consequently, there was no coffee. Uh -huh. And maybe that was the reason. Okay. And we did not have a thermos. Uh, if you were looking at the radio uh, from the survival standpoint, we flunked the radio terribly. We had nothing. Right. Uh, they had a compass, uh, a knife. They, they had didn't a canteen. <laughs> water. Uh, okay, General Doolittle's plane was a little different because Dad was flying with the boss type thing, and the other guys were. 20-year-olds, 25-year-olds, of course, the same thing happened going oh, in B-17s, and they were a little younger. But um, they did pass out sandwiches to the other crews. Um, and one of the other crews, I think it was Greening, they were all excited that they'd bombed and everything, and they were flying, and they took the sandwiches out and started eating them, and it was like sawdust in their mouth because they had no saliva because of all the anxiety and stuff. Right. And so they, they couldn't eat the sandwich, you know. So, But the doctor did give them sort of medical kits. And supposedly there was a bottle of rye for every man on the, the plane. But Dad says there wasn't any liquor on his plane. <laughs> he never knew. Yeah, you got deprived. A, no. It was an exhibition in the heights of stupidity. <laughs> Your motto should have been, no rye, no fly. <laughs> <laughs> but they had no maps. They had no, they had the clothes on their back. Um, they, like I said, they had a 45, which was issued to everybody, and a knife 
and um, they had no supplies at all. And they were not told how to bail out or anything. All they were given was a parachute, and they said, count to 10. Oh. Now, maybe all the guys, the B-17 guys, maybe nobody in Europe other than the paratroopers were, uh, were taught about bailing out either. You know? how, how did you bail out? Was it a window, Bombay door? How did you bail out? Uh, the front of the airplane went down through the hole in the navigator as well. And the people in the back went out to hold the back. Okay. Uh, a little a little background. What had happened, The um, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on some of these. The uh, They were supposed to take off 400 miles from uh, Japan, um, and they were supposed to hit the targets around nighttime. Well, they were discovered by a Japanese, uh, I think it was a merchant ship or a fishing yeah, boat. Yeah, just a little bit. The Japanese had... Um, they had um, ships stationed in four different uh, uh, circles outside, uh, and they had radios on them. And so that was their radar further out. And the Japanese knew that they were coming, but they had no idea that they were going to use bombers. Mm -hmm. And so the Japanese thought, well, we have another day to prepare, because they knew that the fighters could only go 300 miles in and back to the ship or otherwise they, they, they have no place to land. Um, so th the Japanese just assumed they were going to use fighters coming in, and the difference was that they were the bombers had more fuel. But they were a good 200 miles further away from Japan, mm -hmm. and General Doolittle's plane only had incendiary bombs on it. They only had four 500 bombs, but each plane did carry one incendiary bomb. And that was that when General Doolittle went in first, he would give them a focal, the other 15 planes, a focal point to, um, to have, you know, ability to, because the seas were rough, so all the navigation equipment, there was, um, it was overcast, so they couldn't do celestial, they couldn't do reading other instruments because they were all covered with, they flew low mm -hmm. and it covered all the, so the, the navigators were flying by the seat of their pants. Wow. Okay. Um, so anyway. All right. So, so, all right. So, um, you and, uh, Colonel, uh, Doolittle just took turns flying from what I read in, in the all book. Right. And, um, how long, how, how many hours was it between the time you took off until you hit the target? Well, <laughs> Let's uh, go back about the mission. Uh, the mission was that we would land at a place in Java. Mm -hmm. uh, a gas up. They didn't go to Kunming and become part of the, uh, the Chinese uh, uh, effort. Uh, to do this, they had uh, planned to have a homing station portable homing station at a place where we would enter China. Because mm -hmm. uh, that would be the place of the shortest fuel. Uh, yeah. As we uh, approached China, uh, there was a big uh, a warm front that uh, Mother Nature gave us. It uh, set things up so that uh, 
things would go ahead and work. Well, on the way to China, the airplane carrying the homing section crashed, killed everybody aboard, and we had no homing station. Arriving over the Chinese coast, we could see lights here and there. The Japanese uh, or the Chinese thinking we were Japanese cut down on all the lights, so we were flying in limbo. Uh, we had uh, no other advantageous uh, 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 homing station w within range. So we are, our choice was to fly uh, to where uh, we're supposed to be the gasoline, which was covered up by 30,000 feet of a big storm. Mm -hmm. So we couldn't have made an approach anyway. Right. So we ended up uh, flying at uh, a safe altitude above the terrain till we ran out of fuel. And then you bailed out. And we bailed out. Well, listen, we'll, we'll wrap this up. Um, is there anything that you want people to know? Anything that uh, anything extra that I may have missed? A question that you feel I should have answered or asked so that people will know about this raid, this mission, and know about you. Anything that you want to tell the audience? Uh, they don't need to know anything about me. <laughs> <laughs> well... The name of the game was Win the Damn War. Win the War, yeah. <laughs> okay. If you want to um, know more about the raid, um, the gentleman that they recommend, uh, his name is Carol Glines. Um, this is one of his books. He, he wrote several books, but he wrote two books that I'm aware of. This one called The Doolittle Raid, and then the other one was called... Uh, uh, Doolittle's Raiders, Just do or, or Doolittle's, I have one that's called Doolittle's Tokyo Raiders. Yeah. So that, that's, it's a little bit thicker of a book. Um, those are, if you really want to know about this mission, and I, I really think it'd be good for you to read about this mission, to see all the details, what went into it, and um, how it just baffled the Japanese, because they wanted to know, where did these bombers come from? And FDR said, Shangri-La. So, uh, <laughs> Colonel, I want to thank you very much. Um, very much appreciate you you're taking welcome. the time to meet with us, uh, Cindy Shaw, uh, your daughter. A new children's book out that's pretty good too, and the guy's name is Nathan uh, Hale, uh, just like the Patriot from the Revolutionary War. Um, but it's a, it's a, we've got it, and it's a pretty good little book. It's done in a cartoon thing, and so. If you want to introduce it to kids and grandkids, that one might be interesting to get. Okay, Nathan Hale. Yeah. All right, that was the uh, spy, yeah. Yeah. the spy who got hanged. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's the gentleman who said, "I regret that I have but one life to give to my country." Yeah. So, um, Nathan Hale. Okay, so that's a children's it's book. His, it's his. He's a direct. Well, he's not a direct descendant because a young man died, uh -huh. but he's direct descendant of the family. The family. And uh, he's written a couple of them, and we found this one lately, and it's it's real good. So, okay. All right, Colonel. Well, unfortunately, we don't have any rum here to, uh, <laughs> that rum to drink. Rye. <laughs> was it rye? <laughs> now, what was the one that there, uh, oh, every, that, 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 that was, um, uh, there, there, there was, it was a 
Cognac. Cognac. There was a uh, a plan that when I think there were the last two Raiders were were around that they would toast the other seventy eight uh, with uh, cognac. It was uh, from eighteen ninety five. Eighteen ninety six. General Doolittle. Um, Hennessy. Someone in California gave General Doolittle a bottle that was laid down the year that he was born, which was eighteen ninety six. And General Doolittle passed that bottle on to the Raiders. And um, the, the, the Raiders were lucky enough that um, different towns and bases would invite them for reunions every April 18th. And Tucson, Arizona, in 58, invited them and gave them uh, silver little chalices, little cups that are at the Air Force Museum now. And Which Air Force Museum? Air Force Museum in Dayton, Ohio. Dayton, the Ohio. Air Force Museum. Okay, the, <laughs> the Air Force Museum. Air, Museum of the Air Force. In Dayton, Ohio, this yes. is so that we can let them know. Um, and uh, the Air Force considers them the Hope Diamond, okay? so. <laughs> uh, but um, anyway, um, they would take those cups in 59, 58 and 59, that started the tradition, and they would toast. They toasted anyway, but then they actually had little goblet things that chalices that they toasted out of and then they would toast the men that had passed on you know from the war or you know that had passed on mm -hmm. from the raid and um then they the last toast was done with this bottle that um general doolittle was given to general doolittle on his 60th birthday okay so all right well again thank you so much and well, uh we uh Please stick around for a long, long time because this country, this world needs men like you to continue to tell the story. Well, I'm trying. Yeah. <laughs> 103 years old, the last of the, last of the great men of the uh, Doolittle Raid. Thank you again, Colonel. Appreciate it, and God bless you.